ברוכים הבאים, ברוכים הבאים בשם השם, ברוכים לכם ובעזרת השם. Welcome to our weekly Wednesday share. דיל נשמס, גבריאל אלימלך, לא לשלום, מבעוד לחיים טב, מרוך ושלום, יום יועץ שיחיה. נתן אבס מוזלי, גבריאל אברהם. ויעקב. ליל נשמס יוצא תנאי סרדיפקה בשלמי רקויין. ונצחוס יבוד לחיים טייב ורוחים תסתמלקה באסרוזן ופור שניים וקריבה. I mentioned the outside today, Tetzov, Sarifke Vashamir Akrin, it's not the first year that either came out on the outside or in Smichas, 18 years, so I'm sure I've elaborated a great length the virtues of the person, her virtues as a person, her virtues as a spouse, her virtues as a mother, her virtues as a sister, Chalamesev Gerea, Add too much. Sometimes you tend to when you add too much, sometimes you embellish too much. Don't you don't enhance to say the least. Sometimes it begins to start sound like a like a exaggeration. Uh, you wanna start sounding like you want to put and all the other things titles truth to be told exactly that I don't want to embellish I don't want to overdo it I don't want to overstate it And I believe what I've said in the past suffices as a very 
honorary honorary hesped eulogy type of thing. Eighteen years is a long time. Chai. We know that when someone passes away, mainstay focus for the person that remains behind. Words of the Navi. We need to take to heart and to heed and to see and understand what lesson, what life lesson can we take? What life lesson did we take? In what way did we make her name proud? And if has shown the opposite, how to reflect, how to repent, how to repair. The heart of a Jewish mother is not something to be compared to anything we know. The devotion and dedication for their children is unsurpassable. The Jewish mother will go to any lengths to make their child's life fit in the tear away. I'm not judging anyone or putting anyone down or picking anyone up or putting anyone aside. But today's day and age, Baruch Hashem, there's many, many courses on parenting, many different opinions of how one parents, Many of these people giving these lessons should definitely be given a, 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 a very beautiful honorary prize. They should be put on the most expensive cruise ships and go to the most expensive cruises for about 50 years. Raising a child is Das Teda. And the mother that calls Dastera for guidance and for advice is the Eshizchayel, is the Akeres Habayis. is the mother that actually cares about her children. By using psychology and psychologists and psychiatrists and they use today mm. because what you're doing is you're trying to really do the right thing and be right by your child you might have gone through a difficult childhood but your mother wasn't like that and therefore you want to be a better mother than your mother was And your therapist told you that your mother was no good and you're better than her. You should be better. And your therapist will continue to tell you that 
And your therapist is better than her therapist was. My computer is worse than ever. Look. This keeps coming up and freezing the video. Yeah, it's not helping when the video is frozen. So definitely, the way to go is not with the therapist. Everything is bridged on Das Teva. We go to a proper road that's Yerushimayim, discuss with him how and what and the where's, what is the best for my child, how do I answer the questions that are being asked, how do I confront heads on all the controversies that go on, how do I save my child from the surroundings of this world that we're in. You go to a Rav, you go to a Rav Yerushimayim and you find when the child says this, the child says that, what does the Rav say, what to do? Obviously the Rav's not telling you to give the kid a slap across the face. The Rav doesn't necessarily come up always with the brilliant ideas like timeouts for the child and timeout. Lock them in their room for a week. Feed them through the window. The Rav doesn't tell you buy him shoes two sizes too small so when he walks it hurts him and learn to go, go on the right path. And the Rav also doesn't tell you to do what they did to the Avedivri, put his ear to the doorpost and pierce it because he's not listening to you. It's not Das Teda. That is not the Teda opinion. There is Musar Avicha Shema, Shema Bini Musar Avicha Shema. There is a Meseda that we have which we live with, which we live by. Did they have it right? <sighs> Forget video today, folks. This is the fourth time it's stopping, and I'm not going through this. HW encode error. Did they have it down pat? can't guarantee you. Everyone remembers their parents saying or doing something that didn't agree with them. And because it didn't, unfortunately, they have their opinions today, their attitudes today, their approach today. So Vachayit Nalibe tells us 
If Chas Vesholem, Chalila, there was a problem that your parents were too gruff, your parents weren't compassionate enough, your parents weren't loving enough, your parents weren't understanding enough, they didn't have the right insights. Don't be judge, jury, and hangman. It doesn't work. Do you know what your parents were going through at the time? We don't know what they were going through at the time. How do we fix it? How do we... We need to understand we want our child to grow up we want our child to grow up the way Terry wants us to and therefore we need to do whatever it takes in a Yiddish realm in a Yiddish way it's beautiful the mission says which obviously dictates that one should buy themselves a friend, purchase a friend, which means sometimes even using money to get your friend to do what you want, or to get your friend to be your friend. But the parents sometimes think if they buy the child and they give the child whatever they're asking for, they'll be where they'll win Parents of the Year award. Some parents actually did appreciate what the parents did for them. And therefore, say to themselves, that is the way it should go. Like I said before, Shema Bni Musaravicha Shema. So when I sit and I talk about my mother, Shalom, I'm very happy to say and to boast that whatever it was, whatever it needed to take to raise children. in this world today and the world is not as good as not as good today as it was then so needless to say that it's way more trying in today's day and age with so many more obstacles 
in front of the children, in front of us. Taylor tells us, look, listen, and do what you need to do. And look, tonight is Chof Menachemov. Chof Menachemov is the yard site of Reb Levik Schneerson. The father of the Rebbe. Up. Hello. Yeah. You okay? Yeah, I'm gonna give you a class. Oh, yeah, I call you back. Call back. Okay. The outside of the Levik a true, dedicated, devoted parent. He would not back down. He was a Balmasidus Nefesh Mevimiel. A Balmasidus Nefesh for Teda and for Mitzvahs. There was no compromise when it came to Yiddishkeit. And therefore, because he was so stringent and so straight, He was exiled. He was exiled. What does exile mean? Exile means he was sent off to a gullus, away from his family. You want to take this computer and read what it says here to fix the thing? You don't have?
Ayyid al-Khasid, his mind, and everyone knew him as a brilliant, brilliant mathematician, a very, very deep Kabbalist, <coughs> respected and revered all circles, And since he would not relent, he was relentless on many different things when he came to Divri Kedusha. Therefore, the Russian government, who was not exactly Jew-friendly, shall we say. Exile them off to Kazakhstan, a place where, I mean, today being his yard site, many people travel there, and my son just called me to tell me, show me around the cemetery in which Levik is found is a non-sectarian cemetery, I can you call it is the plot that he was given was sanctified, was made holy and shalom and he was buried there the um But walking there, he says, it was like, a, it's, it's like something out of a scary scene from I don't know what. He comes there and, he, and he's walking through on this, the different types of graves that he finds there. And Baruch Hashem, there's hundreds of people there, so he's not scared to walk through it, but it's horrible. So, this only gives you a hint as to what Ablavik is being put through. If this is how he treat how he's treated after he passed, only imagine what they put him through when he was alive. The tortures he was put through in prison. One of the main sins that he committed against the government, he refused to give hashkocha on the wheat that they wanted to use for matzahs. The government wanted to use certain wheat, which he did not feel were kosher for matzahs of Pesach, and therefore a lot of this wheat was not, either not used at all or not used for matzahs, which caused a little bit of financial burden for the Makshimamlikis Russians. And he wouldn't bend. He wouldn't bend. He was relentless. And for that reason, they shipped him off to an exile. 
after arresting him, his wife had no idea where he was and what was going on with him. And they refused to let her know, and they refused to... Was, she was tortured. And when they finally found where, she, where they had sent him off to, they arranged for things to be sent to him, food, whatever it might have been. And then finally the Rebetzin was allowed to take a luxury journey <coughs> to go be with her husband. I believe she spent like four weeks on the Russian terrain and trains and everything else until she was able to get there from where she was. Just to give you an idea how far east this place is from Moscow. But the Rebbeik never complained. The only thing that really bothered Rebbeik was his, this whole shenanigans hindered his learning. Obviously, how many Svarim could he have taken with him? One of the Svarim, because as I said before, he's a very big Kabbalist, is of course the Sefer of Zaya. But when you and I learn Zaya, we break our teeth, obviously, because the words are not familiar to us. But more than that, we eventually guess sometimes what the word means based on past experience. Ablavik not only learned Zaya, but his profound understanding, the depth of which he understood the Zaya, was mind-boggling. However, a scholar such as Ablavik, who is A scholar such as Levik was tortured with the fact that he could not write, put a pen to paper, and to express his learning, his understandings, his insights, and the disturbing feeling of not being able to relay this and taking these secrets to this grave very painful. <coughs> so Reb Sinchana traveled to Reb Levich. Reb Sinchana literally made ink from scratch. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what you have to scratch off to make the ink, but yeah, well, she made it from scratch. She made it from fruits, she made it from this, and then she made different things. I believe he, unfortunately, did not have paper. He didn't have a library to write from. So he had a Zaya, and he would write in the borders of the Zaya. The margins. 
And this was, this is what ultimately we have today, is the Kutlev Yitzchak, his Antikuni Ezeyar, simply that he had written in the margins and the corners and every inch that he could write on the sides of his pages, the pages in between the lines, explaining the depth of the Zayah. You know, they tell a story nothing to do with Levi. Just the story of the actually the Rebbe outside of Montreal, I believe he is. Tasha Rebbe. And um, there was a line of people that came to see him, the holy man. Came to beseech his counsel, his, his blessings. And he came out and he observed, observed, he observed the line of people waiting for him. And he noticed there was a pauper amongst the line, at least one. But there was one person that everybody knew was very poor. And he's definitely coming to ask for alms, for help. But unfortunately, he didn't have. Don't jump to conclusions, please. So what is he going to do? How is he going to help out this person? He sees, also on the line... He sees a rich man also on the line waiting. So the Tashinaba tells his Gabai, his assistant, or whatever you want to call him, he tells me, if ever send me in the rich man first. And he did. He sends in the rich man first, and he tells the rich man, he asks the rich man what his problem is, what he needs, what he wants, and the rich man poured out his heart. He told the rich man that he would need X amount of stuck for And the rich man doled out whatever he was planning to give the Rebbe. And then Another person or two later, the poor man came in. And the poor man was really, really hurt. And he says to me, he says, Rabbi, I understand, I came here because the whole world is a false world. Alma de Shikre, a bunch of fakers. And I came here to you because I thought perhaps here by you they say is truth. And I see it just as bad as everyone else. This is what happened. So I'm online before this rich man, and you come out and you see the rich man there, you say, Ah, you can make some money off of him. So you ask the Gabbai to send him in before me. 
Because I'm an insignificant person, you know I'm a poor man. I can only imagine that the Rebbe helped him out for whatever he needed. I also can only imagine that the Rebbe did not tell him the story. The Rebbe, instead of trying to answer for himself, or trying to clear his name, shall we say, which was being blackened for no reason, I'm sure he let the man walk away just to the satisfaction that he had the money. This is Olaini Pashat Ekev. Meshach Rabbeinu continues his Teichacha to the Jews. He continues telling them all their shortcomings that they had throughout the years of the desert. And it's ironic how Moshe, such a devoted and dedicated shepherd to the Eden, never told them straightforward. I mean, he said several times, Mamin but he never actually told them the sin you did. Remember this sin and that sin and this sin. Moshe makes reference to the man. And it says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu was kind to you in Machil Chamon. He gave you to eat the man. The man that came down to the Jews in the desert was called Lechem in Shabayim. So it's referred to in the Torah. Lechem in Shabayim. However, however, the Gemara Goes on to tell us, yeah. Sheer. The Gemara tells us that there was a question as to what bracha to make on the man. Lachim and Shemayim. Shahakel, or whatever it might be. It was a spiritual food. However, its essence looked like it was a physical. And as we said, it had any taste that a person wanted. And the best part had no bones and no pits. Mm-mm-mm. You could just eat it straight up. And yet, we know in the parasha it says, Hamachil Chaman, I gave you to eat the man, Leman Aneischa, to torture you. To which we have opinions that say that really the man was not so satisfying.
And therefore the people were not totally full, sated. And the person, though, Taylor tells us that although I gave it to you, the man Nisachal, he tortured you. Each person had his own portions, one daily portion. But we know the Yamada tells us Numa. If you give me a score at home, um, I in Dalit Amid Beis, 74 side 2. Ain't it Dema, Mishiesh, they pass Bissali, Mishain, they pass Bissali. There's no comparison to the person that has bread in his basket, person that doesn't have. And it's therefore similarly, there's no comparison to someone who sees his food. Someone who doesn't see his food. And although the person eating the mud tasted whatever food he wanted to taste, he did not see that food. Now, to a certain extent, the mud actually has a contradiction within itself. A rich man's food a poor man's food, the one food. I don't know if we told this over the the line of the guy that came back from the nutrition is crying. So I said, What happened? What did he tell you? So he told me I have to start eating quinoa, flaxseed, and then the alfalfa and plastic. I says, what? Plastic? Plastic's not food. He says, the other things are food. Today, there are people that will swear on these things. On the quinoas and the alfalfas and everything else. But majority of people will swear against it. Or they'll swear at it. And they wouldn't and the dare they wouldn't take it in their mouth. Yet we were given the man to eat. So it's a rich man's food, the people that think they're eating kale and they're very fancy. And a poor man's food, the person that would rather have a hot dog than a piece of kale. But this in itself had both. It gave you the taste of anything you wanted, but yet it didn't satisfy you. But it's not really a contradiction. They both have a similarity between them. The mud itself, its essence, was a little bit of a wonderful, wonder thing. A godly food, a godly bread, with no boundary. 
godly bread. Fantastic. Yes, for more. You can't pay for that in the grocery. Because of this, since the mon came down into the physical world, came down into a something, an essence which is in a boundary, the world could not just grasp it the way they grasp physical things. The human eye could not see the tastes, the, the never-endless taste that God provided, and therefore it lacked seeing and eating. Now we have discussed this in different ways, discussed the Medish Pliya involved, Shabbos Kedish in order to accept the man the way it was the way the fitting way for it people needed to detach themselves from the physicalities of the world as we know them. And then you were able to grasp, appreciate the greatness and the Kedusha of the man. Eating the man in the desert was a preparation for Matantera, for Mitzvah Snetzel. For the Tatum, it's in its show. It was given in a measured kayach to be able to mesh these two concepts, these two difficulties that the person was putting up with, that of the rich and that of the poor. The rich. are really in danger to an extent. the person would think, I did this with my own hands. And yet the test of the poor person, to believe that there's no bad that comes down from, from above, it's a big problem with the suffering and the tortures they're going through from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's not possible. There's no such thing as, pos- as torture, no such thing as bad, when it comes down from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The man gives us the capacity to be able to grasp these two concepts. The rich man learns from the man that the riches come from above. And it's not my see the other He's not eating anything that he did. 
The poor man learns from their man that God's almighty um, generosity is given to him direct from above. And therefore, it's a most wondrous good. But unfortunately, not always do we see the way it's supposed to. We don't always grasp the proper thoughts. Not enough that it doesn't help us, but unfortunately it sometimes distorts the head of Amarba. So the way to accept good that comes from the Maila is to totally free ourselves from the concept of Kechi and Yodi. My strength, my hand. And to rely in a way fully on HaKadosh Baruch Hu, where the person frees themselves from any inhibitions, worldly inhibitions, and believes fully in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Believes fully that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the source of all good, chesed, and thereby he merits to see the bracha of his own hands and to accept the good that HaKadosh Baruch Hu puts into this physical mundane world. And the same is spiritually. In order to gather all the lights of Teda, which are known to you as Lechem and Hashemayim, especially when it comes to Pneumius HaTeda, the inner secrets of Teda. As I spoke before, Reb Levik was very, very involved with the Sefer Zeah, which is the Pneumius of Teda. Pneumius that has no pits. This is through the person becoming an empty vessel to be able to accept everything that's poured into him. Then, we can be zeichet to accept the air, the never-ending air of the Teda to be given to us the way it should be. Meisha tells us in the Pasha, in the middle of his reprimanding us, his Musir, he tells us the story of the Luches, and he went to get the Luches from the Maila, the two tablets, 40 days and 40 nights, not eating or drinking or sleeping, and he broke them. He came down the sitting by the eagle, and therefore he broke them. Very interesting word it says over there, that the chataschem, the sins, by the eagle that you did, I burnt, and it, I destroyed. So in that case, we have to understand, the sin obviously was the eagle. He says he burnt it, what did he, he grind to, to a pulp? tells us therefore the Teda that no, the sin was they brought sacrifices to the eagle 
as long as the golden calf was there, nobody was serving it, it was bad enough. But until you didn't serve the calf, bring a sacrifice, etc., you didn't sin. Therefore, the sin was the sacrifice that they brought. On top of that was the ego itself. So the sin, the of the sacrifices Moshe burnt and the eagle itself he ground to a pulp we know of course of the Luchas how he broke the Luchas Moshe is telling this and repeating and reiterating this once again to show the Yidden how they acted, how they behaved, how they reacted to what happened, and once again add this into his reprimand, as we see this week in today's Chitas and Rashi, he talks about this, he explains why mentioning this again, telling us how the Yidin, it's another part of the reprimand, but again in a way of a hint, not Chasashon, blaming the Yidin. Therefore, as we come away from Chafav or the outside of Yutesov, people that were devoted and dedicated to Telemissus, obviously, Levik was on a very, very high level. Although, I don't want to, again, make a saint out of my mother, but she was an extremely frum person. And therefore we have to learn from them. Those small mitzvahs that we don't think counts, that we step on with our ankles, with our heels. We should know those important mitzvahs are very, very important. And therefore as we complete and do all the mitzvahs that we need to do, we can bring bring closer each mitzvah as another brick for the Beis Hamikdash Ashlishi, which will be Zeicha, the second week of Shiva the Nechemta this week will be Zeicha therefore to hear and to see the Geula Amitiz Vashleimah Yedei Mashiach Tzikeinu I'm afraid this year is a little short but I just can't talk anymore Shabbos to all